Hiram Smith is the leader of the month for December 2006. He is a co-founder of Franklin Covey and is recognized globally for the Franklin Planner. He has authored many books, including What Matters Most, The Ten Natural Laws of Successful Time and Life Management, and The Advanced Day Planner User's Guide. This November, Hiram Smith spoke at the AHSM Group's World High Performance Forum in Chicago. With his great knowledge and experience, and his ability to share stories that engage an audience, Hiram Smith offered valuable insights on personal productivity. Following his speech, we sat down to discuss him and his leadership. Excerpts of that leadership conversation between Hiram Smith and me, Brian McCormick, follow. What advice would you give to aspiring leaders? Advice to aspiring, aspiring leaders. I think what uh, most leaders uh, have got to internalize and fully believe is that without their people, they are nothing. The respect that leaders need to have for the people for with whom and through whom they want to get something done has to be huge and the people have to recognize it. And it's really all about loving your people. You know, I, I think if you love your people, you'll do things that will help them to succeed. When I was at ADP, my, I said to my managers, you have to earn the right to fire somebody. And which means you have to do everything in your power to help somebody succeed. And once you've done that, if they still refuse to succeed, then you've earned the right to fire them. But uh, I think just the, 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 the respect for the human being is huge for a leader. What about if you had to choose a most admired leader? Who would it be and why? Uh, you know, there are a couple for which I have huge respect. One is uh, Winston Churchill, who was, in my opinion, an amazing leader for several reasons. Number one was his tenacious uh, unwillingness to fail. And, but he, you know, he coupled that with an amazing ability to communicate. He was a, one of the world's great communicators. And uh, some, of the, some of the Churchill speeches during the Second World War were electrifying. And so I, I think the, he ranks way up there. Um, there. There are lots of leaders in American history who I have great respect for. One is Washington. I've done an extensive study on Washington's life. And the way he was, a, you know, his men, you know, would have done anything for him. And he demonstrated by staying with his men at Valley Forge, he galvanized them into an amazing fighting machine. Because after Valley Forge, they didn't lose any battles. You know, they, but he stuck it out in the winter. He didn't have to. He stuck it out in that cold winter with his men. And that was huge. Uh, those two that quickly come to mind. If you had to talk about leadership highlights from your own life, what would be the ones that stand out for you? Well, you know, of course, the creation of Franklin has been an exciting thing. We started at my basement, three of us, and it grew to 4,000 people. But, you know, I guess one of the, one of the um, uh, pivotal points in my management-slash-leadership career was discovering that I... That my role as a manager was to surround my people in an atmosphere wherein they would do what I asked them to do because they wanted to do it, not because they had to do it. And because what I discovered was that people would do what I told them to do as long as I was in their physical presence. But the minute I left their physical presence, 
They did what they wanted to do. So how do I create an atmosphere that says, do it because you want to, not because you have to? And uh, a lot of people in corporate America are functioning because they have to, not because they want to. And people that are functioning because they have to require a lot of supervision, people that are functioning because they want to require no, virtually no supervision. And so that was a big aha for me in my management career. How were you able to get to that point with people? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, if you understand the fact that there are three basic emotions that motivate people to do anything. One is fear, one is duty, one is love. Fear, I have to do it. Duty, I ought to do it. Love, I want to do it. Are you with me? Yes. And what I discovered was if I genuinely cared about my people, recognized what they had accomplished, then they would seek that. And so we tried to create this atmosphere of recognition of people's talents as human beings, their special differences, if you will, you know, mm -hmm. diversity, you know, is the, is the catch word today. But if you recognize that, pay homage to it, and people realize that you care, people will kill for you if they think you care. Is there any metaphor, story, or analogy that would sum up what being a leader or what leadership is all about? Well, you know, there are lots of, there are lots of stories. I don't know about metaphor, but one of, one of the, the Civil War is always, a, uh, I've been enamored by the history of the Civil War. And there was a battle in the Civil War, Gettysburg, which changed the direction of the war. Had the, had the North lost this, the Battle of Gettysburg, they would have lost the Civil War. And that was true of the South. They lost us to Gettysburg and lost the Civil War. But there was one event that took place there at Little Round Top where the 20th Maine, commanded by Colonel Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, was one of the most wonderful exhibitions of leadership I've ever heard about. I mean, he only had 300 men on that hill, and the South attacked it six times with 2,000 men, and he held them off. And he lost half his men, lost 150 men, and when the South came up the last time, they were out of bullets, they had no ammunition. And so rather than retreat from the hill, which would have been the prudent thing to do, he ordered his men to put their bayonets on their rifles and charge down the hill, 150 guys, at 1,500 Southern troops. And it scared the Southern troops and they fled, they ran, they turned and ran, they were tired, they'd tried six times. And the, uh, the, the whole idea of being, of willing to not only make the tough decision, uh, that would have, may, may have cost him his life, it didn't, but it could have, to charge down that hill, and then to charge down the hill with his men. Are you with me? Sure. It's huge. But what most leaders do is they sit in their office and they say, go do it, and then, you know, you gotta be with your, you got, the, the, the leader is with his people, you know. You can't ask your people to do something you're not willing to do. Or you can't ask the people to do something you haven't done yourself. And, you know, the, the, the real mark of a, a, a leader, in my opinion, is a teacher, coach. You've got to teach your people. You've got to coach them. And, and at West Point, I didn't go to West Point. I went to OCS. But at West Point, the whole focus of four years at West Point is to teach, their, teach young officers to give an order and make them feel like they've been asked. Okay? Sure. Very interesting idea. So you bring up the necessity of teaching and coaching for a leader. Are there any other traits 
that you find crucial for a leader to possess? Um, I, I think that leaders have to have a high degree of integrity. If you don't, if 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 people think, uh, and look what's happened in our in our national landscape, all these uh, congressional people that have made big, huge mistakes, you know, in integrity mistake, and it destroys their careers, you know, and and it should destroy their career. And so I, I think integrity is huge for a leader. If you're gonna do something. And you tell people you're going to do it, then do it. You know what I'm saying? And if you if you espouse a certain set of values, then live your values. That's the issue. What do you think organizations are currently doing that either encourages or conversely stifles leadership in their people? Well, unfortunately, in a lot of organizations, um, people in leadership positions, rather than being... Uh, thrilled at strength underneath them are threatened by strength underneath them. Are you with me? What a leader needs to understand is that you are, and I'll use the word glorified because it's a big word, you are glorified by the success of your people. Okay? And if you understand that, then the success of your people is your entire focus because you rise with your people, the success of your people. What happens with a lot of people is you know, if they get somebody of real strength underneath them, they're suddenly very threatened. And rather than giving them their head and encouraging them to create and be innovative and get stuff done, they block them, you know, because, they, man, he'll, he'll take my job. I've got to be careful about this. Sure. It's a very myopic look at the world, but, you know, that's, that's sad. In a lot of organizations, that's the way it is. In the pyramidal hierarchical organizations, most managers fear strength underneath them, which is really tragic in my opinion. Yeah. What do you, you've brought up um, West Point. Mm-hmm. In terms of the best training programs for leaders, is that one that you would recognize, or are there others that you uh, Well, military, as far as the military is concerned, the, you know, the, the four military, you've got the Annapolis, the Naval School, you have, you have the Air Academy in Colorado, you have... West Point in New York, and from a military standpoint, those training experiences are, are wonderful. There is an additional training college in the mil- military at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, called the Command and General Staff College, where if you become a major in any of the four services, you have to go through that if you want to go on to a higher rank. One of the most amazing leadership schools in the world, and, and we train officers from armies from 120 countries at the Command and General Staff College at Leavenworth. And it's a fabulous leadership experience. The sad thing in most of our colleges is leadership's not a big curriculum in our colleges. You know, there's, there's lots of academics, there's lots of um, hard skills taught, and, and but you know, it's, it's, you'd be hard pressed to find a leadership course in most colleges. So where do they get it? They graduate from college, they go to a corporation, and corporations are bringing leadership training in like crazy. I mean, that's why we have a company. We teach leadership, we teach time management, and there's a thirst for it. And so, you know, we're brought in to teach basic skills that should have been taught at college. Sure. But actually, kids learn more about leadership in their athletics uh, programs than they do in their regular programs in school. Sure. Why do you think it is that colleges aren't doing more? 
you know, I'm not sure I have a good answer for that. It, it, it's just not a, it's not something uh, they perceive as uh, necessary to get through college, you know. The academic side of college has always been number one, you know. Right. And so they have all these courses that help, you know, you have your history and your English and your speech. And, and then you have your disciplines, like, you know, engineering and medical school and all of that. Right. But... Uh, you know, when do you learn how to be a leader, you know? I mean, it, it's really interesting. You know, doctors are some of the worst financial managers in the world, and that's a leadership issue, really, you know, managing your own finances. But they don't teach doctors in college how to manage their finances. So they get out and they make a lot of money, and then they, they get destroyed. You, you wouldn't believe how many doctors are in financial trouble because they don't know how to manage their money, you know? Can you think of any time when your leadership was challenged or tested? And do you recall how you might have responded to that? Yeah, the in the early days of the company, um, we went through a very difficult time where we, you know, we, we got uh, we had to go through a major lawsuit at the very beginning of the company, and a lot of the people in the company thought it was going to destroy the company. We were small, maybe only twenty of us at the time, and we grew to four thousand people. And uh, I had to, I, I, in some very dark moments when we were not sure we could meet payroll every other week, you know, we had to reach deep to decide how committed are we to this thing. And we knew we were right. You know, we ended up blowing the, the, the lawsuit away. Um, but we had to shore up and assure the people who were getting things done for us that we were going to prevail and stick with us, you know, go through the fire. And, and it was a really interesting time. It, it, uh, I look back on it now as a, as a good time, you know, but it was a very strenuous, difficult time. Okay. I believe we all have a story. So I'm wondering if you had to tell a story that would represent who Hiram Smith is, what is the story, metaphor, or analogy that would tell us about you, your life, your leadership, or your place in the world? Well, the, uh, the, uh, the story about me is I, I um, grew up in Hawaii, and my father was a professor of speech, and you know, I grew up with the, the mindset that you have to get a college degree and get in a big corporation and grow in the big corporation. And so I did that, and I got my degree. I, went into, I ended up with ADP. I went through the military first, and and uh, but what I discovered when I got into the identification of my governing values, you know, the thing I was teaching there, what I discovered is what I really wanted to do was teach. And so I looked at the academic world, and I didn't have the credentials to teach in the academic world. Okay, so I decided, well, I'll teach in the corporate world. They'll take anybody in the corporate world, you know, <laughs> which is true, you know. So I created a little company in 1983. The initial name of the company was H.W. Uh, Smith and Associates. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we decided to teach time management because there was a recession on and we thought we could teach people to be more productive. I had a pretty good career at ADP as a sales manager and so I had some credibility in corporate America. And, you know, there are just three of us. My wife, a good friend of mine, and me. You know, we went out and started, you know, created a seminar, started selling it. And, uh, yeah, you know, it just kind of exploded around us because what we did was we got, we, we reached, we, we got under people's skin with this whole idea of governing values and how it impacts what you do every day. And it surprised people. 
because most back then and even today you know most people you go into a uh, a training session and they're most trainers are afraid to get people emotionally involved in what they're doing but i i personally believe that until you get emotionally get somebody emotionally involved in making a change in their life they're not going to do it okay and so the whole idea behind the i-beam experience were you there today yes the, you know, the whole the whole thing between the i-beam experience that i-beam experience gets under people's skin it does you know i mean they they'll sit there and think damn you know what would i cross the i-beam for and and if you can get them emotionally thinking about not just intellectually but you got to get them in their hearts you know most um presenters i've discovered go through the brain intellectually and and most presentations are very intellectual and and you've got to be intellectually in tune to survive those kinds of presentations but like Ken Blanchard yesterday, he was wonderful. I mean, Ken Blanchard just talks to people, you know, and mm-hmm. and he's he's good at getting people emotionally involved. And so that that's the way that that's the direction that we took with this. And boy, it just it just took off because what we discovered people were hungry to find that they could close the gap between what they were doing and what they valued. Most people have values; they never just they never thought about identifying them. You know, they have them. But they never codified them, never wrote them down. And the minute you write them down and you put light on them, it's, you know, light is the best disinfectant. And you, you put light on something and all of a sudden, you, now I can do something about it because I know what it is, you know. Sure. And there you are know, a lot of people who are overweight or are miserable and they don't know why they're miserable. Well, they're miserable because they're overweight, you know. Right. And somewhere in their background, they decided, you know, being physically fit is important. But crap, I weigh, you know, I need to lose 80 pounds. So you know what? I'll tell you the interesting thing. The people, the the, mo- the one big emotion that people come out of our workshops with that, it, that excites me is they come out with a new and renewed sense of hope. Mm. And I figure if, if I can if I can help people get a renewed sense of hope about doing something with their lives that matters, that's a win. You know. And we, we, created a business around that. It's kind of neat. That's got to be incredibly rewarding. Yeah, it is very rewarding. Please describe either your dream or your current personal passion. Well, you know, my, my I've created another company called the Galileo Initiative. It's a brand four years old now. and I still give speeches for Franklin, but I'm not involved with the management anymore. And we discovered a model called the reality model. And I, I'm quite passionate about, I think we can change the way the world thinks with this model. And you can, you can look, you know, go to GalileoInitiative.com. Okay. Uh, www.GalileoInitiative.com. And you can read all about that. But that's a new thing that I've created. And so I'm just sort of dabbling with that. But I'm limiting my travel now to six days a month. Okay. I'm, I'm on my way to six million miles on commercial aircraft. And that's not a... An award I aspired to in high school. Wow. So my passion really is spending more time with my family. You know, my wife and my six kids, and I have 18 grandkids. And Congratulations on that. So it's kind of neat. You know, I'm. I, we have a cattle horse ranch in southern Utah, and so I ride horses a lot now. So. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, terrific. Okay. Well, thank you so much. All right, Brian. Well, thank you. <laughs>